the pressurization concept. That's where we're going to get this great transferability to a high force type of a situation where um, and, and it, people will say, oh, it's 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 upper body power and things like that. It's like, OK, how are you measuring that um, as a representation or is it more of a systemic influence, which is what I think it is. Now, granted, there's muscular development that's going to be associated with that because of the isolative influence. And when I say isolative, it's just like it's not going to influence the lower body output to the same degree, but um, it's still requires a tremendous amount of pressurization to, to lift the weight. So we st we're still squeezing. We're still promoting a tremendous amount of, of internal rotation related force production, which is how we do that, that we use internal rotation to produce force. Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. Um, so here we are, and my camera tracks around. We'll see if, if anyone's if anyone's bothered by the fact that my camera is going to be moving while while we have the podcast. Uh, maybe that's something I'll, I'll turn off in the future. But yeah, but see. here here we are. Here we go. What's uh, our what's our computer? So we um, I know you don't remember this because why would you? But last time we were we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about good and bad exercises and that evolved into a conversation about the back squat right um and then we said we would talk about like bench press and deadlift and stuff like that so i think yeah. maybe we talk about so what should we pick on next yeah maybe let's pick on the bench press today just because that's yeah. something that pretty easy everybody does so there's there are people the king, that keep the king of the upper body exercises, right i'd say the is. king of the gym exercises just because oh I know plenty of people that don't do leg. People skip leg day. It's a big joke, you know. Batman never skips leg day. Yeah, Batman never. Batman never skips leg day. Batman can, uh, I think, based on different comic book representations of Batman, can leg press like twelve hundred pounds or something like that, or he can squat fifteen hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, it might have been fifteen hundred. We'll we'll look that. I'll look that up in post. And I'll put that up in the, in the, on the screen. So, so talking about, we talked about good versus bad exercises. Mm -hmm. It's really context dependent, yeah. right? Absolutely. And there's Absolutely. going to be certain advantages of certain things. You can use all of these exercises as tools for a variety of reasons, but it will always depend on what the intention is of doing the exercise and who the people are that are going to be performing the exercise. And if it's right, Thing for them at the given time or in the given context the the appeal i don't know the appeal of the bench press outweighs all things if you go into any commercial gym there's going to be six to eight flat benches for bench press and then there'll be a squat rack over in the corner or maybe two right right and those can be yeah. set up for bench press as well Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which they all do. Right. Right. They all, they all the squat racks have the benches rolled into them already with the with the bench press pins set up. International exactly. bench press days. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, and Thursday sometimes. <laughs> also observed. 
it's it's just one of those things where especially observed i like that yeah like that. it's uh different cultures observe it on different days i'm sure well if it falls on a sunday you have to you have to observe it on the following monday that would be the typical representation right right um yeah um there are potential benefits yeah for sure you know um it, it I think it probably evolved out of the developmental uh, aspect of it, like from a muscular development standpoint. Because when you look at what, what they used to do beforehand is they used to just do floor presses. Yeah. If, if they did, if they did that variation of a press to begin with, because you, you come off of the, the weightlifting environment and a lot of the pressing was just simple overhead pressing because they didn't they didn't formulate the concept of using a bench to increase the excursion of the bar as you're pressing. Yeah, I, I kind of did a brief. Then it became a thing. Go ahead, sorry. I did a brief look into the history of the bench press, and I think it goes back to 1898 or something like that, like way way back, old school yeah. uh, bodybuilding and mm -hmm. weightlifting, and like you were saying. Right. A lot of it had to do with floor pressing first, just as a way to like, how do I develop my upper body strength um, with this right. barbell that I have? So they did that. Yes. And then I think that when the weights got heavier, they would either like basically hip toss the bar to themselves and catch it over their face yeah. when they're on the ground or someone eventually decided to. I think it took like 50 years or something like that. Or it might've been like the thirties when they actually came out with a bench, like an actual flat yes. bench. Yes. It was, it would be handoffs. They yeah. would, they would have somebody and hand it off and then you would, you'd finish what you could finish and then they would take it away. Yeah. See if this resonates with you. You want to get back to the gym and get in shape. Maybe get back to playing golf or your favorite sport or get out and go for a run. Maybe you just want to move and feel better. But every time you restart, that old ache or strain rears its ugly head and interrupts your comeback. When I wrote All Gain No Pain for my patients who had completed their physical therapy, we knew what they were ready for. You're in a different space with a different starting point than before. You don't feel like a physical therapy patient, so you're going to need to approach this differently. With some guidance, you'll first need to reconstruct your movement foundation that takes your physical structure into consideration. You're going to have ongoing questions as you think differently, so you're going to need a like-minded, supportive community to support your progression. If you're ready to begin your reconstruction, we have a new group starting soon. Right. Yeah. It's just, I think it's just like when before the squat, the squat rack, they used to tip it up on end, step under it, lower the bar to their shoulders, and then do squats like yeah. that. It's like it's it's rather ingenious from the perspective of not having any apparatus to support it, but it's also you just have this like strange curiosity it's like well why didn't they do that sooner it's like it just makes it just makes total sense yeah just but there neither here nor there but it but but it came from a a like an isolationist muscular development kind of a standpoint rather than a performance related uh benefit concept yeah. right it was more about about strength it was more about muscular development it wasn't about like oh this transfers from this activity to this activity kind of a thing it, w it was literally from like like again aesthetic and then just being able to lift a weight in a different manner right and and it wasn't all it wasn't about it's like well how does this benefit performance like it didn't derive from that right i think and i think 
as time went on, people found ways to kind of backfill in the reasoning for the performance that's right. as tends to right. happen, right? So all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah. in these handball players, their power output went up when they did bench press or chest press for three months or something like that. Correct. It's like, well, yeah. yeah, you could find you could find research to back anything when it comes to that. Correct. Correct. And then here, here's what we're going to end up falling back on from a performance related standpoint is the, it's the pressurization concept. That's where we're going to get this great transferability to a high force type of a situation where, um, and, and it, people will say, Oh, it's, it's, it's upper body power and things like that. It's like, okay, how are you measuring that um, as a representation? Or is it more of a systemic influence, which is what I think it is. Now, granted, there's muscular development that's going to be associated with that because of the isolative influence. And when I say isolative, it's just like, it's not going to influence the lower body output to the same degree, but um, it still requires a tremendous amount of pressurization to, to lift the weight. So we st we're still squeezing, we're still promoting a tremendous amount of, of, internal rotation related force production which is how we do that that we use internal rotation to produce force and and in in this respect um, we are emphasizing another strategy that allows us to produce a higher internal pressure and therefore ultimately produce force but transferability then becomes a little bit limited so let me make a comparison um, if we were to look at this just from an upper body perspective and then you're standing upright and then pushing in a horizontal manner or relatively horizontal, um, much like, say, a an offensive lineman in American football, right? Um, under that circumstance, you're not laying on a bench. You're utilizing a different body angle and you have to use your ability to put force down into the ground to apply force forward into an opponent. So whether it be wrestling or or football or something along those lines. That then becomes a limitation because all I would have to do is raise your center of gravity and, and I can start to push you back regardless of your ability to bench press. If I can elevate you upright, if I can raise your center of gravity, then you can no longer apply this so-called, what we would describe as more of a horizontal um, applied force. So that becomes a limitation. So it's always about your ability to push down into the ground, pressurize yourself in that situation, and then to apply force. So there is a, there is a limitation to its transferability. Um, and I think it, I, I want to give credit to Juan Carlos Santana, because I think he was involved in the group that, that did the research where they were looking at like, what is the actual amount of load that you can horizontally press. And I think they were using a standing cable press for it. Don't quote me on that. It's been a long time since I read it, but I think that's what they were doing. And I think that you can actually only horizontally press about 75% of your body weight. And at that point, it actually does start to lift you up and then you cannot produce the force under those circumstances. So there's always going to be an element of downforce when we talk about transferability of this upper body force producing capability to be able to utilize that in some, some measurable context. Right. So that, that makes it really interesting as to like how valuable this really becomes 
And then what are the other side benefits of said exercise? Sure. And obviously, obviously, if the sport that you're participating in is predicated on like performing the bench press well. So if you're a power lifter or if you do bench press competitions, if you're a, if you're a yeah, that's pure para, Paralympians, I believe the bench press is an event. Um, for those, uh, in there's like actually that's one of the lifts in the Paralympics. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so the when you're talking about comparing a standing cable press to like a bench press, and then you're talking about like the the compression that's happening, because it's thinking about it from the perspective of there's a bench behind you, so you're pushing up a weight, gravity is, and the weight are sort of creating this squeeze, like a panini press. Uh, squeezing you yes. from from front to back on top of all of the muscles that you're recruiting to try to move this weight up are going to also compress you from front to back and sort of put Correct. you into this the, like the classic presentation of trying harder and harder on the bench press is going to involve you arching more and more and more so you're just turning on everything in the back and trying to squeeze and then you're turning on everything in the front trying to squeeze and you just end up just taking all of the toothpaste out of the toothpaste tube. And, and, and again, there are side benefits to this, right? So um, limiting turns under certain circumstances is beneficial. So if I go back to the offensive lineman example, um, I want somebody that would have a wider a wider base of support um, so they can apply downforce into the ground and apply force forward. Um, it would limit their ability to turn through the axial skeleton Another benefit of such such things, um, you don't won't want your offensive lineman to get turned too much, because again, if they get turned, then the defense can get past them and get to the quarterback. Your quarterback's not very happy about that. So there are benefits in in regards to the ability to lower the center of gravity, apply force into the ground that the bench press actually provides by structure. So it's a, it's an alteration of structure. It's a, it's an ability to increase the amount of of pressure that you can create. Um, so again, those benefits would show up. Certain types of throws would also benefit from um, bench pressing to a degree. So uh, again, a shot put, um, shot putter would would see some benefit from it as well. Um, again, just because of the the degree of compressive strategy right. that would be applied. So if you're if you're just sort of blindly looking to increase the amount of force production that you can create or you can you know produce then using the bench press might be the kind of the blunt tool that you could use to increase that thing potentially. So taking, taking away that ability to turn. So squeezing, squeezing the container changing your shape. Eventually the more you do it, the more often you do it and the higher intensity levels that you do it at the more significant that shape change and that less sort of adaptability of the shape change as well. So it just slowly, starts to become a stiffer and stiffer version of that pancake. A locked position that you're trying to move around when you're when you're holding on to like a barbell, for instance, as it's going up and down the wrists and elbows and shoulders that need to be able to rotate for relative motions can't really do so anymore. But I think that's a trade off that we should talk about as well from an axial standpoint. So so this would be rib cage, shoulder girdle representation okay when i squeeze you front to back this is where you're going to start to lose shoulder rotation 
um, it's almost a badge of honor to end up with some sort of anterior shoulder pain at some point in time with the right. with bench press, right? You you finally finally put three plates on the bar, and uh, and you can you can bench press, but you sort of pay the little, little price for that because of the compressor strategy that would be be involved. So you get your anterior shoulder pain, which means you got posterior lower compression. Chances are, you know, if you got uh, limitations in, in overhead reach, or you're going to get in what would be referred to as an impingement with overhead reach, you're going to see other aspects of the of the rib cage um, losing their ability to expand as you would take a breath in. Again, this is just a normal byproduct of the circumstance and the adaptations that would be associated with progress in the exercise itself. And then from there, you're going to see a progressive loss of further range of motion, including elbows, which people don't really pay too much attention to because um, people tend to be pretty good compensators. Um, and the thing that you mentioned, which is kind of a big deal, is the fixed hand position um, on the bar. So again, applying force is going to be an internal uh, ro rotation application. Um, the fixed position on a, on a bar, typically in a bench press, um, is going to be the internally rotated hand pronated position. So by fixing that, um, number one, it would enhance your ability to uh, apply the force to the bar, but it could also be detrimental in the fact that now you're going to have to give up something in return. And so what you're going to find is it's going to be harder and harder for you to access the external rotation because the internal rotation moment is going to be increased throughout the extremity. And this is something that you'll see over and over and over again, um, where people will make modifications to how they bench press. So for instance, you might start with an elbows away from your side style of bench pressing, and then you'll find over time is that you slowly bring your grip in somewhat, or you bring your elbows closer and closer to your side, which would be it's often recommended for power lifters um, in, in many circumstances. Um, from a protective perspective and a performance-related perspective, but what, what the elbow change of position is to assure that you have enough external rotation to move through the excursion of the bench press without the uh, compressive strategy that would result in pain. And that works for a while too, but it only works for a while. Because if you continue to do so, your adaptations will again progress and you will eventually lose right. that motion as well. So I guess there... And then, yeah, based on that progression of losing motion, you're going to see people that have to start to modify how they bench press. So they start using, they start limiting the range of motion. They start pressing from the floor. They start using boards so that they limit yep. the barbell range of motion. They start adding on extra gear that either right. like attaches their arms together or assists with the sticking points. Which you'll you'll typically see happen, right. Um, right? Yeah. Yes. These are these are these are substitutions for compression, or assistance with compression. So, like bench press shirts, the bands that you were mentioning before, are all increasing the compressive capabilities. Therefore, um, this would enhance your ability to move the load per se. So, it's very ego satisfying under that circumstance, but. Um, Again, not necessarily beneficial. It's sort of uh, putting the Band-Aid on the problem um, when the reality is it's like you just took your adaptations in a very specific direction to a significant degree. And then, as you said, um, it's the trade-off, right? So my trade-off for force production 
uh, gains in muscle mass, there would be a detrimental effect um, to right. range of motion in the end. And I think this gives us an opportunity to sort of talk about something that is just misinformation and just like this commonly held belief that, okay, well, if there are these potential trade-offs of doing the bench press, I can counteract them by doing band pull-aparts in rows and the oppose what what seem to be the opposing <laughs> yeah. motions that because the the thought of right. using yes. the thought that well this is not what we believe but the thought that is you know commonly believed out there would be that squeezing and pushing with the the bench press is using your chest and shoulder muscles and is bringing everything out of position and creating a whole lot of tension in front so in order to counteract that sort of squeeze in front I'm going to squeeze everything in the back in an opposing way. So from that perspective, right. okay, well, if I do bench press, I should do like a seal row or like a, a, a supported chest supported row in order to counteract this pressing on the other side. I think we should probably talk about why that doesn't make sense. Yes. Well, hang on a second. So from a performance related adaptation, okay. If you've never done, and me saying this is going to just screw up a whole bunch of people. They're they're all going to do this because because I'm telling that's, them that that's there's all a potential performance enhancement, but there's also the trade off. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just prefacing this. If you had never done a chest supported row before, okay, and you started to do them, there can actually be an enhancement of your bench press because of the increased compressive strategy that you're creating under this circumstance. However, it has the same uh, negative. Uh, result that we would see from doing a lot of bench presses because again you're creating the anterior posterior compression that's going to steal range of motion. The the thing about the bench press is so when you think about the setup and just especially when you when you start to you know move a lot of weight, you're actually using a retracted scapular position, which which blocks the ability of the rib cage to expand. Right. This is why, like when you accidentally learn how to do this in the gym, if you train by yourself and you sort of accidentally figure it out, you go, oh, if I just hold my shoulder blades back and I pin them to the bench, I can lift more weight. The ultimate end game here is that is that you're compressing both sides of your body. So the, the muscle activity and the load on the front side, the compressive strategy in the back side that enhances your ability to move weight eventually becomes the big squeeze. Right. And so, again, detrimental pulling in the opposing strategy also squeezes in the back and which again, this this perception um, gets um, misunderstood, also squeezes from the front because when you retract the scapula, there's a scapular elevation to elevate the scapula. You actually have to compress the sternum, which is anterior. So even in your, like if you're to do barbell rows, chest supported rows, et cetera, you're still compressing everything front to back, okay? Scapular elevation is a squeeze. It's not just shoulder blades going up and down like it's perceived. Okay, so under regardless of the circumstance, if I'm pushing and pulling under under these circumstances, right. you're creating an anterior posterior compression. You're not balancing. You're not balancing strength with pushes and pulls. All you're doing is learning how to squeeze yeah, more I think, in different ways. So I think a simpler way maybe to think about it would be that the squeeze that you need to create in order to exert, to produce force and to push against something or pull against something are going to be the same. So when Bill mentioned mm -hmm. an axial representation, mm -hmm. he's talking about the the skull, the rib cage, the pelvis, that squeezing that has to take place through that column, let's call it, 
uh, will be very similar regardless of if the action is reaching away from me or pulling towards me, because it has to be. There might be a slight bias right. to what's happening on uh, either side, but yeah. Right. At the highest levels, at the highest levels of force production, whether it, whether it's the perceived push or pull, you have to be able to limit range of motion because the limited range of motion is what allows the higher forces to be demonstrated. Because if I have multiple joints that are all moving at the same time, I'm actually dissipating my ability to produce the force because there's, there's a dampening effect when I have multiple joints that are moving. When I limit the number of joints that are moving, so I pin my shoulders back, and then the, the only perceived motion they have is a limited amount of rotation in my shoulders, a limited amount of, of elbow motion. That's what allows the higher forces to be produced, which is why, okay, so beginner bench pressers that have never been had instruction, they've just watched people do it, they did, then they're performing their perception of what they should be doing. They turn it into a reaching activity where the, the scapulae actually do move away from the from the bench very limiting in force production, okay? Um, also performs some measure of compensatory strategy at the end, but that's beside the point. But this is also one of the reasons why they're really poor at, at performing the bench press. And this is one of those things that you either learn through through process or some get some coaching under certain circumstances to actually increase your force production where they actually right. learn how to limit that range of motion. Again, initially, performance enhancing ultimately yeah. can be the so source think of problems approaching this from maybe a more overarching perspective and just kind of giving people what the extremes would be so we we often talk about like narrow and wide as an extreme for structure we talk about in terms of movement the capability uh -huh. to move versus capability to produce force and what those extremes would look like from the let's just use an upper body perspective uh, just because we're talking about the bench press. So if we're just going to use the shoulder, the at the appendicular mm -hmm. representation of what ends up happening. You have the super mobile, the people that can, you know, they're, they can basically dislocate their joints. They have like soup, they can hyperextend all of their joints. They can dislocate, they could take their arms, link them together, or take them over their head and, and move them around. And then you have the power lifters who bench press every day, who start to just sort of look like they're wearing a bench shirt when they're just standing uh, or sitting in a chair. So you have the one right. representation that can no longer move because yeah. they've squeezed so hard because they've had to. And then you have those who couldn't really produce a lot of force, but have a tremendous range of motion available to them. And either end is is not good. You don't want to have this like uncontrollable mm -hmm. range of motion, and then you also don't want to have this complete lack of motion. So what's your? I just want to offer that is like what the extremes are. are. Like what are we? So that people know that what the trade offs are, because we don't oh, we don't want to yeah. scare people into believing that they have to not lift weights. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying that there's there is a trade off because that, that's just like people right. are get. People think that if you and I are talking about these exercises and the negative consequences and the trade-offs that like we would never have anyone do them and we're telling everyone to stop squatting and benching, that's not what we're saying. It's just that if you focus on anything too often or in too much frequency, there's going to be a secondary consequence to that. It's like 
everything right. in moderation is usually the best route right. to take. Right. We do paint, we do paint a rather yeah. ugly picture of, of the things that we love. So right. much. And it's like, Oh, yeah. well, like, are you are just going to train people by having them like roll around on the ground and breathe and crawl. It's like, maybe if that's what that person needs, but if this, if I, you gotta, yeah. yeah it's like, I get it. I get it. You know, right. I, I, I've been there, done that, you know, but you know, Paid some consequences for it. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of, of you making the decision as to what your end game, you know, desired end game is. If you want to be a power lifter, like, a, like, let's just say you want to be a great power lifter, like you really want to see what you're truly capable of, you will experience a, a, a decrease in available ranges of motion because right. it enhances your performance in that specific sport. When we're talking about yeah, when we're talking about training gen pop or or an, an athlete that has very specific performance-related context, we have to be careful as to how we apply these things because letting things run their course without any any con concern over secondary consequences can lead to um, uh, decreases in performance, uh, pain, injuries, etc. That's what we're talking about. It's like it's like we want to use this these these activities intelligently, but we have to have the understanding of the negative secondary consequences as we're applying this, because if we don't consider those things, we become the problem, right? We we're the ones that are designing and implementing the programs, and so um, we have to take the 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 fault where yeah. the credit it's, is also considering due. consider what the goal of the person that you're training is or what the intent of whatever the training program is supposed to be if there's some type of performance related metric or some type of sport they're trying to play if what you're doing is affecting their ability to perform the actions of their sport that they need to be successful you need to adjust that if if these people don't play sports and they're gen pop their sport is their life so they've they're them performing their day-to-day -day activities and the activities that they want to be able to perform. If what you're doing from a training standpoint is getting in the way of that, you also have to consider what you're doing as well. And you know that's why we're here, Re reconsider with Bill Hartman. Right. So I, I think right. um, I'm gonna give a couple, of, just because I want people right. to have takeaways <laughs> and practical aspects and not just us, you know, wax theoretical on everything. It, it's like what, I'm gonna give a couple of examples of when I would, okay use a bench press for somebody uh and oftentimes if, if i have you know someone who's on the <laughs> narrower end or has a lot of range of motion but really not a lot of control they can't really do a push-up they could never they couldn't do a pull-up to save their life like none of, they just don't have this sort of strength to move themselves around i might not necessarily try to put that person on the pull-up bar or try to do just doing push-ups with them i could build that ability to internally rotate and produce some force by putting them on the ground, doing a floor press or doing a bench press with lighter weights to try to get to the point where they can produce enough force to be able to do these positions that people might value more like, like a push up or a pull up. Um, and then obviously if I have someone coming to me who's complaining about the anterior posterior impingement of the shoulder, they can't raise their arms overhead. They have a hard time putting their jacket on and part of their programming is bench pressing. I'm not going to try to adjust the bench pressing. I'm probably going to remove the bench pressing. Just because based on what we're saying, that all of these things that and the secondary consequence we've talked about, it would make sense to remove that and see what happens when I do so. Because it's in, it's interference.
Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com, get your neural coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.